chapter 9 is where you can let your Bibles rest today. I want to welcome our first-time visitors to New Beginnings. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line. This morning, we are again walking through the great book of Acts. It's on the screen behind you. We will be looking at verses 1 through 9. And I'm so glad that you are here today because you could have been in one of over 500 churches in the Fresno metropolitan area. But by the grace of God, you are here with us today. And we don't take your presence lightly. So thank you for worshiping with us. Acts 9, Acts 9, verses 1 through 9. If you have it, say, I got it, Pastor. Amen. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, that's what they used to call Christians, people of the way, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul or Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then Jesus or the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the golds or kick against the pricks. And so he saw trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless and hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight. And neither he ate nor drank. And all God's people said, Amen. Turn to your neighbor today for the last time. Tell him, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. My pastor wants to talk to you about what happened when Saul met Jesus. Amen. What happened when Saul met Jesus. Family, at the time of our text, persecution was alive and well 
in the first century church. The church had been scattered to Samaria, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I said that havoc was spreading rapidly among God's people. Because God had raised up a man whose name was Saul for the purpose of persecuting his own church. Now, one of the most unlikely candidates for salvation is found in our story today. For this fella is a murderer. He's an enemy of the church. He's a violent man. But God had a plan for his life. And God was going to save Saul all for himself. This text, family, is a text of encouragement for us because it's a reminder to us that no man is beyond redemption. Can I get a witness in here? I know the media is trying to tell you that ISIS is, is this or that or Al-Qaeda is this or that. But I stopped by to remind Christians today, no man is beyond redemption. In fact, God has a plan for even the worst men of the earth. And this plan reveals that God in Saul's life was going to use him to save the Gentiles. That's you and me of the earth. Can I say it another way? God had you on the radar. And it would take a man like Saul after conversion to come and get you. Can I say, ain't that all right? This is an interesting fellow as we talk about what happened when Saul met Jesus because Saul, in the background of the text, was an unlikely character to be saved. The text opens up and says, then Saul. You see that right there? It implies that the then is there because something else happened to remind you of the then. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he now went to the high priest and he asked letters of them to go to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any Christians who were of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, according to Acts 8 and 1, Saul started out breathing or being consensual to the death of Stephen. It's said of Saul that he was the one who organized the event. And he held the coats of the people that threw the stones to kill God's deacon. And then when you come to Acts 9 and 1, he's still being Saul. Can I say some more? In other words, he was on a sinful mission to do harm to God's church. Yeah, Saul was an enemy of the church and felt that it was his job to wipe out the gospel on earth. 
In fact, according to the biblical record, Saul did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he saw the message of the gospel as a hindrance to the Jewish teachings and doctrines. So what he did, he goes in chapter 9 verse 1 and he gets legal authority. From the Jewish synagogue, the one that crucified Jesus, Saul goes and gets his papers. The papers now to persecute anybody that say they living under the name of Jesus. In other words, this is evidence that Saul hated Christians and he had committed his life to persecute them. Now, Saul's plan was to kill, threaten, destroy, and imprison anybody who participated in Christian worship, community, or activities. He was kind of like ISIS today. Committed religiously to wipe out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you listening here? But I want, I want to give you a heavenly observation of his life today. See, if God can use a man like Saul, then God can use those today who hate Christianity in the world. Can I say it again? God can use ISIS just like he can use Saul. He used Saul to make Christians run from their places of comfort to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I told you a couple weeks ago, sometimes God got to shake you up. In order for you to move out and do what he called you to do. Action neighbor, have you been shaken lately? Well, there are several observations of the sovereignty of God that come to mind to me, uh, Sister Gray, after reading a text like this. Number one, because God is sovereign, God can use haters of Christianity <laughs> to accomplish his will in the earth. Tell somebody he's still God. I don't care what the world is doing. He's still on the throne. Am I talking to you? Even God's enemies are employed by God. See, it's God who is all powerful and allows evil to attack in the earth, to persecute and to do harm to the saints. I want to remind somebody, listen, God ain't sleep on the job. He took a vacation. He ain't on holiday. He's still God. And if he allows evil to operate in the earth, it's because evil is working on his behalf. Can I turn the light on right here? Listen, I know some of you are saying, God, my life is jacked up, man. It ain't never been what I want it to be. How come I'm always this or how come I'm always that? God has not been unemployed. He's still God, and he's using the drama and the trauma in your life to elevate himself so that you will know he still gets the honor and the glory of life, and he don't need your permission to be God. I know that's tight, but it's right. Listen, you may be saying, I don't like that, Pastor. No, I don't like it either, but he's still God. Just because I'm unemployed don't mean he ain't God. Just because I ain't got the man or the woman of my dreams, right? He's still God. Just because my bank account ain't got zeros, it's got negative lines. Come on, talk to me. He's still God. Just because I ain't driving what I want to drive, I ain't living where I want to live, or I'm in Fresno, just like y'all in Fresno, he's still God. 
He's sovereign and he's in control. And I like this text because it reveals the sovereignty of God. Y'all going to help me study today? I got three points I'm going to give to you. They're on the board. They're on the board. Number one, what happened when Saul met Jesus? Number one, Jesus stopped Saul. <laughs> That's worth you coming. Second thing that happened when Saul met Jesus, Jesus summoned Saul. And the third thing, what happened when Saul met Jesus? Jesus sent Saul. He stopped Saul. He summoned Saul. And he sent Saul. Y'all going to help me work? Okay, keep your Bibles open. Let's study. Look at verse 3 with me. The text says, the text says, and as he journeyed, the he in this text is Saul. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. Now, notice this. Reverend Brown, here we see the classic picture of what it means for God to have the light on you. <laughs> uh, as Paul was going about to do wrong to people, God was watching him. Saul was running after the saints who fled from Jerusalem to do them harm, but God was watching the whole time. Now, the text says that as he journeyed, he came to Damascus. In other words, it implies that God was setting him up for an encounter. See, it goes on to say that suddenly the light shone. In other words, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, before he could know it, daughter, heaven was about to intervene. Can I say some more? The text says that God shined the light on him. Now, why? The good Christian will ask that question. Well, he shines a light because of the following things. Number one, he shines a light because Saul is out of control. He shines the light because Saul was killing God's people. He shines the light because Saul was creating havoc in the lives of the church. He shines the light because Saul was working against the gospel. But most importantly, he shines the light because Saul needs a savior. Can I tell you why I like this? I like this because it shows God's mercy and grace. His perfect plan for Saul's life. Let me say some more. Jesus literally stopped Saul through divine intervention. He stopped Saul when he's ready to save him. He stopped Saul when the time is right. He stopped Saul when he gets ready to use him for his glory. He stopped Saul and reveals to him who he is. Listen, Saul was not a believer in the resurrection. So Jesus would reveal to him the truth of the resurrection. Jesus stops Saul in the midst of his sin when he gets ready to stop it. Can I say some more? Just like he stopped you when he got ready to reveal himself to you. Come on, talk to me. Go back down memory lane. You know where you were doing what you was doing with who you was doing it with. Caught up in the caught up. Or as we used to say in New Beginnings, doing that thing, that thing, you know, that thing you was doing. And God intervenes right in the midst of you doing that thing. He stops you not when you said, I got sick and tired of being, you lying, no, you was, that's why you was doing that thing, no, come on. 
You need it for God to intervene and to get your attention. He's the same God today, yesterday, and forevermore. Can I say some more? Look, and look at what he stops him with. He stops him, Billing, with the light. <laughs> this got me right here, Reverend Mason, because he could have stopped him with a lightning bolt. He could have stopped him with a huge angel. Could have stopped him with an earthquake, an east wind, or some little frogs and lice like he did with Pharaoh, right? But no, he used the light instead. Stay with me right here. I'm glad he used the light because this is no ordinary light. What do you mean, Pastor? This is his glory that encompasses his throne. Can I say some more? The resurrected Christ breaks into time and reveals himself to, to Saul. And when he does it, he interrupts him with the light from the throne in which he sits. In other words, daughter announcer, when wherever the throne is, there's the light. And wherever the throne is, there sits the king. Wherever the throne is, there is the one who holds the power. Wherever the throne is, there reigns the one who is sovereign and most high. So when Jesus stops Saul, he does the work himself. He personally, Mason, gets involved in the intervention of his life. He's not using Peter, James, or John to get Saul's attention. He's not using the calamity of the world to get Saul's attention. No, God is going to reveal himself to Saul. Why? Because if he's going to be an apostle, like Peter, James, and John, and the other, he's got to meet apostolic authority. The apostolic authority says you got to see Jesus face to face. You got to get the call by yourself. So when God gets ready to intervene and step in his life, this he's got to handle personally. He literally, from eternity past, breaks into time. And the throne of the Christ is present in Saul's life. Because Saul has got to have the licensing he needs to operate on behalf of God in a fallen world. Okay, I know, I know, I got Bible students here, Brother Seth. Let me give you some Bible for my theology. In the Old Testament, God was accustomed to appear to the Jews in a pillar of fire. Y'all remember that, right? Or smoke. Or a cloud. So this is not new God appearing to man. In the New Testament Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And his glory shone. With Peter, James and John all around him. So now when he gets ready to adopt yes, Saul and reveal himself to him. His glory breaks forth. To shine one more time. So that Saul would have no doubt in his mind that God has broken into time. Y'all going to help me here? Guess I wrote myself a note, family, that God is still stopping folks today in the middle of their sin. Has God ever stopped you in the middle of your sin? 
asked the question not long ago, has God ever messed up a good high for you? Has God ever broken up a relationship that you wouldn't let go of? Has God ever had to knock your world sideways to get you back where you needed to be? God is still shining in the darkness of people's lives and bringing them into the marvelous light. That's why I ain't panicking about ISIS. I'm not panicking about Al-Qaeda. God is still shining the light on folks. Am I talking to anybody? He's yet saving others by revealing himself to them. God is yet humbling people. And he asked him a question when he broke into time with the lie. Why are you persecuting me? Look at point number two. Jesus summoned Saul. Verse number four of the text says, When the light shone, verse number four, then he fell. <laughs> I like this chapter. I didn't see this earlier today, but in 9-1, then Saul did this. But in verse 4, when Jesus has been, then he fell. Y'all see that right there? <laughs> to the ground. And he heard, you should circle that word. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now notice this, brothers and sisters, when we come to this verse, we see several amazing things happening. The first thing we see, Courtney, is that Saul is made to bow down to him who sits on the throne. Y'all catch that? He's in the presence of Christ, and the glory of the throne commands him <laughs> To be prostrate. BJ, you got it, huh? And this is why I think when he writes in Philippians that one day every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. He know because he's been made to bow down. Y'all caught that? In other words, God knocked him off his horse. He forced him to the ground and it demands the light of God, the glory of God and commands for all who are in his presence to bow down. Saul was a proud man. God said, you ain't going to bow by your own will. I'm going to make you bow down. Second thing we see, I had a good question right there. I'm not going to ask you though. The second thing we see is that Saul, watch this. He heard a voice. Y'all catch that right there? He heard a voice. In other words, it wasn't a feeling. It wasn't a vision. Wasn't an idea. He heard a voice. And a voice is always attributed to a person. Ah! In other words, he heard somebody speaking. He heard God after he saw the glory of Christ and felt his presence. Can I say some more? That this is again important because if God is going to use him, Mason, as an apostle in the earth, he's got to have the same qualifications as the other apostles. As the other apostles personally met Jesus, so Saul being summoned to meet with him had to have the same opportunity. You know what I like about this, and I mentioned this at 8 o'clock. 
This is what's different between him and Matthias. The other apostles that Peter and the boys appointed after Judas left. The difference is there's no record of a divine personal encounter with Christ and Matthias. Which means they chose the disciple prematurely. They chose somebody who was in the crowd because he looked like he could be one of the twelve. Let me encourage you. There's always a danger in choosing the wrong minister. What you find here is Jesus is doing the selecting. Just like he did with the other 11 that day on the hill of Galilee. He called them. Not the ministers appointed them. Am I talking to somebody? And in order to qualify the one he calls, he's got to reveal himself to him in all of his glory. Saul was forced to the ground, Sister Wilson, by the power of the light of Christ. I like this note. I wrote myself a note. Sister Billings, he used supernatural intervention, daughter, as he did when calling the other apostles. It's this great light that he heard and saw the risen Savior, the person of Christ. Now there would be no doubt in Paul's mind. Y'all in here with me? That the one he was persecuting had risen from the dead. There would be no doubt in his mind that Jesus is alive. There would be no doubt in his mind that he heard him, summons him, and called him. That's why God removes him from where he is, puts him on the road to Damascus, isolates him. He's got some witnesses with him, and when the time is right. God breaks into time and selects his man. The only man he's going to use to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. I thought y'all get excited right there. Come on, tell somebody, don't make it up. Look it up. Can I say some more? Paul is literally called and arrested. Arrested by the call. And then God catches his attention. Now, I like this because I know for him this was a fearful event because he had committed his life, Sister Brown, to killing the Jew, uh, the, the Christian. Are you listening here? And now the one he was killing them about and for or because of has now spoke to him. And he calls him by name. Y'all know God know you by name. Can't he call you in the midst of your sin? Come on, y'all. Y'all playing church with me today. He know you by name. Honey, boo-boo, whatever you call him. He know you by name. Saul. Saul. Why are you persecuting me? That's the question. And Saul would realize that when he persecuted. Watch this. Saul would realize, Deacon Lorder, that when he persecuted the church, he attacked Christ himself. In other words, if you bother the body, you also bother the head. You bother the body, you bother the head. So that's why Jesus can say, why are you persecuting me? Y'all still ain't there, huh? 
Okay, okay, all right. Y'all going to make me pull out all the notes today. Huh? I'm going to give it all to you today. Saul knew that when this happened, brothers and sisters, he was in the presence of God. You want to know how I know? He responds with a question. Who are you, Lord? Can I say some more? The word Lord in the Greek here is the word kurios. And it's the word for supreme ruler. God over all the universe. When Jesus knocks him down, gets his attention, why are you persecuting me? Saul responds because he's seen the light. He's heard the voice. He's the resurrected Christ. He says, now who are you? Because in my ignorance, I don't know. Can I stop by to tell you this right here? That every conversion and encounter with God is a personal encounter. Y'all in here with me? If God has ever called you to follow and serve him, it will entail you having a personal encounter with God. You can't run out there on a hunch. You can't run out there on a good idea. You can't run out of there because you think you can do it better than the person you see up there doing it. No, there's a personal encounter that comes with the call and the conversion of Christ. Why? Because God is a personal God. What, what he does, brothers and sisters, everything he does is personal. And everybody he calls, he calls personally. You know what I found out, brothers and sisters? Even our children, parents, that we're raising in the fear and admonition of the Lord, they can only live on your faith for so long. They got to have their own personal encounter with God. That's why we live before them, to show them what the encounter is like. But we can't have the encounter for them. They got to have it for them. Can I say some more? I noticed several things in this appearance to Saul. That number one, number one, number one, he deals with Saul intimately. I want to I break the misnomer here that God can't deal with you intimately. God shows up in Saul's world, and watch this. He speaks to him in words. And just like Saul... God has no problem speaking to you today through his The voice of God is screaming in the 66 books. But if you don't pick it up, you won't hear him speak to you. Somebody said, I'm, I'm reading, but I don't understand what I'm hearing. Then get an interpreter. Somebody who's walked with him. That can tell you what he's saying to you. But I guarantee you there's no question you got from God for God that'll go unanswered. That's why he gave you the scripture. You know it's possible, it's possible to go through life getting the answers that you want from God. You don't have to make it up, just... Because God is speaking. 
Am I making sense here? To me, that's why it's invaluable. I got to be in church. Because I got to hear him speak. Look, my world too crazy. Come on, talk to me. I can't roll the dice on what I think I ought to do. I got to be under the authority of the word of God. I got to be around the people of God because they hear him speaking. Sometimes I ain't clear. I think I heard something. But I need to just bounce it off of somebody every now and then. Am I making sense here? Saul, Saul, just like Saul, God, yeah, yeah, guess what God, God here shows mercy, Billings. He shows mercy to Saul, look, because he could have killed him in the midst of his sin. But instead of killing him brown, he called him. Somebody missed it. Instead of killing him in his sin, he called him in his sin. Can I help somebody here who's stuck on trying to get yourself right first? Please. That's so old. You can't get yourself right. God don't wait till you get right to call you. He call you while you tore up from the... That's when he can use you. He calls you right in your brokenness because your brokenness don't catch him by surprise. He catches Saul on the mission to do wrong. And calls him and sets him apart for himself. Tell your neighbor, you can quit trying to fix it. You can quit trying to. <laughs> y'all making this hard for me today, y'all. Let me give you my, y'all still ain't convinced. Let me give you point number three. Tell him he's going to try again. He's going to try again. He gonna try. When Jesus, when Saul meets Jesus on the road, Jesus stops Saul. When Saul meets Jesus on the road, Jesus summons Saul. Now, thirdly, let's look at when Saul meets Jesus on the road, Jesus sends Saul. Y'all in here? You with me, Sherla? All right. Verse 5 says, and he said, so this is Saul talking, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, look at that. He's talking with the sinner. I am. <laughs> Somebody called that right there, right? Y'all remember, he always reveals himself to people in the Old Testament as the I am, right? Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, El Shaddai. I am. And then he says, I am Yeshua. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Then he says, look at this. Look at this part. He adds on there. This is what got me, Reverend White. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the golds or the pricks. And then the text says in verse 6, so trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, this is Saul talking, what do you want me to do? I'm going to deal with that, okay? Then the Lord says, arise and go into the city. You're going to be told what to do. Notice this. Here we discover what I call is the divine involvement of the call to ministry and the call to discipleship. The two are separate but similar. Saul had just been arrested by the call to submit himself to God. And Jesus has revealed to Saul who it is that Saul was persecuting. You're persecuting me. As you're persecuting my church. Jesus revealed who it is that has the sovereign rule and reign over Saul. 
Now, through his power, he let Saul know, I'm God, Saul. And through his glory, Saul was able to see that what Jesus is saying was true. In other words, he was the God of heaven and his glory alone demanded Saul obey. See, his glory alone could have killed Saul. His glory alone stopped him in his tracks. His glory alone put an end to Saul's agenda in his own life. His glory alone was enough to blind him. His glory alone could not even be dwelled in. His glory alone was too much for Saul. And just God's glory alone could solve the foolishness of his heart. Saul didn't ask, can I see your glory like Moses? But God revealed it to him. Why? Because the plan that he had for his life would entail that he knew God and knew what God was capable of. Can I say some more? Because God had a plan for Saul's life, he identified himself to Saul. Here it is. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the prey. Now, this statement alone by itself, Sister Green, is powerful. Why? Because Saul was literally, y'all with me here? He was literally, Mason, being warned to not act like a wild beast that refused to submit to his master. It's an agricultural term. See, an animal on the plow for the farmer had to work in a certain row. And the farmer had the beast in the harness. And every now and then, the beast would get in his mind, I'm going to do my own thing. And God or the farmer would take the gold. It was a long stick that had a point on the end, and he was striking. Wapa! And the pointed edge would stick the beast, causing the beast to either do one or two things. Get back on his row or kick against what the farmer wanted him to do. Y'all still ain't there? So God is saying to Saul on the way to Damascus, farming in the wrong row, Going to do the whole wrong thing. Wapa! And Saul is kicking against the pricks. Are y'all listening here? I am Jesus who you are persecuting. I am the Lord. And Saul has to respond after kicking. Lord, what do you want me to do? Somebody looking at me this morning. God's trying to get you to a certain place. But you got your own agenda. And it keeps tearing that butt up as mama used to say. Wapow. Wapow. And you just kicking against the prince. He telling you stop. I want you out of that relationship. No I can fix him God. I want you to give me all of your life. 
I just got this one part. I just my thing, God. I like my thing. He keeps tearing you up with the gold. And the warning today is it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Can I put all my weight on that thing? I didn't think about this, but here it is. It's hard because you ain't in control of the gold. It's hard because you think you can keep handling the suffering consequences of your disobedience. It's hard because I ain't going to get up off of you just because you kicking back. It's hard for you to try to go your way and my way, Saul. I'm going to make you do what I called you to do. Y'all making me go there today. Listen, but let me say this to you. Don't think that you got options when it comes to God. Come here, Jonah, and testify. Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. Because I got some folks there I love, Jonah. They on my radar. Jonah, decide. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do me. God is like, all right. Calls a whale up out the sea. Come on, talk to me. Swallow Jonah. Jonah didn't have a choice. When the fish spit him up, he spit him up at his assignment. Can I preach it all today? Somebody here, you might have to take a little swim. But I guarantee you, when you do swimming, you're going to be where he called you to go. The best thing is, if you don't want to spend a few nights in the whale motel, go on and do what he told you to do. Am I talking to you today? Somebody still trying to kick against the pricks. Come here, Peter, and testify. What you mean, Peter, you're going to do what you own, what you want to do? I done already told you you're going to deny me three times. All right, y'all know what happened, right? Peter had to be Peter, and God had to reveal himself to him. You're going to deny me, and I told you you're going to deny me. Now, after you deny me, go strengthen the brethren. Am I talking to you here? Paul has decided he's going to, Saul has decided he's going to kick against the pricks. And God has to keep the gold on his back to get him to line up. I like this text because it reveals to us that Jesus had a plan for Saul's life. It reveals to us that Jesus is personally interested in the direction of Saul's life. It reveals to us that Jesus is about to change Paul's direction and his purpose of existence by altering the course of his journey. Can I say that again? Jesus is about to alter the course of Saul's journey. I guess the best way to say that is in a question. Have you ever thought you were going one place and God decided you were going in the wrong direction? Y'all recognize Saul then, huh? God has the ability to change your direction, watch this now, without your permission.
So it behooves you to ask his directions first. Just go on and put your little plan aside. Because you're going to ultimately be on God's agenda. I know y'all mad. Don't get mad at me. I'm the messenger. Y'all listen. I just came to tell you, baby, you're going the wrong way. Son, you might want to check those directions again. God's talking to you today. Listen, there's something else in this text. Can I give it to you? Not only is Jesus rearranging Saul's life, but he's now abducted Saul. Saul has had a true conversion. And in the true conversion comes confession. Lord, what do you want me to do? In other words, there is a surrendering of Saul's will to God's will. Uh Uh-oh, you missed it. Remember, he was once, Sister Tong, on his way to Damascus to do wrong. Now he has to stop when he surrenders to God. And God is going to give him instructions. Now the question is, not do I keep going to Damascus. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a dangerous question, by the way. But oh, when you ask it, you'll have peace. Can I say some more? As Saul surrenders his will to Christ, the conversion of Saul becomes real. Saul, because of his conversion, he sees the risen Christ. And that also makes him want to surrender his will to God's will. See, when God reveals himself to you, family, that's the encounter of a lifetime. And you cannot walk away the same person that you were once you have had that encounter with God. Can I say some more? Uh, This side don't look convinced over here. Can I say some more? Not only does he surrender his will because of the conversion, but in his conversion, now he gets a new assignment. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to get up from where you are and go into the city. Hold your finger right there and let me gnaw at it a little bit. Listen, guys, here you see something amazing. God gives Saul some instruction. But not all instruction. He got the assignment, Mason, but he didn't get everything he was calling him to do. Can I say some more? God never gives you all of the information at the same time. He gives you a little bit at a time so you can walk by faith in what he's called you to do. Just do the first thing he called you to do. And then you'll hear what the second thing is. I need to spend some time right there because somebody's saying, Pastor, I don't know what to do. And I'm telling you, yes, you do. No, I don't, Pastor. It ain't clear. I'm confused. No, it ain't, daughter. It ain't confusing. What's the first thing he told you to do? If it's applied to a school, just apply to the school. That's the first thing. And then wait for the instructions that come after you obey the Second thing I see in this text, not only must Saul submit himself to God, but the second thing, he must get up and go into the city. Third thing, watch this, he must be prepared to be told what he must do. 
I didn't spend no time there at 8 o'clock because I ran out of time, but I got to spend some time with it here. What do you mean, Pastor? He must be prepared to do what he's told to do. He can't have an attitude because God then blinded him. He can't be mad now because his plans didn't changed. He can't be mad that God want to do something different with him. He's got to have the right frame of mind to even hear what's coming next. Well, guess what? He going to miss it all together. Some of us have had the encounter and the conversion with God, and we've heard God call us to the next assignment, but we don't like it and we got an attitude. And because you got an attitude, you don't even have the joy of knowing God didn't reveal himself to you. Because you got an attitude, you ain't even excited about the word of God. Worship don't move you. You mad because you can't have your way. I'm talking to the selfish person here today. I'm talking to the one who think you on the throne. Come on, talk to me. I done already told you that God is sovereign and he don't need your permission to move you where he want to move you. If Saul is going to understand what God is saying when he gets into the city, he's got to prepare his heart, his head, and his mind to obey whatever it is that God has called him to do. I tell, you, tell your neighbor, you know what we used to say back in the day, check yourself for you wreck yourself. Yeah. Isn't that something? Well, I just about gave y'all the car. Y'all ain't moved. Y'all still looking at me like I'm a boring movie. Amen. So let me roll the credits and get out your way. The conclusion. Look at verse 7. Now this one, this one really got me. And I know the scholars and the thinkers here will really appreciate this text. Because this is not the obvious in the text. But the text says in verse 7, and the men. Now circle that. Luke only writes this for your understanding. In other words, if it wasn't important to add in, the Holy Spirit would not have inspired him to write it. So he says, and the men who journeyed with him, Saul, they stood speechless. Circle that. Hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he was blind. He saw no one. But they, they led him by the hand. Who are they? Who's the they? Those men he was talking about. They led him by the hand, and they did what? They brought him to Damascus. Because blind, he couldn't go there his own, right? They brought him there. And then verse 9 and 9. And he was three days tell somebody three days without sight and neither did he eat or drink let me unpack it when you arrive at these final two verses not only do you see the startling change in the character of Saul not only is he no longer a rogue persecutor of the church but rather now he's subservient he knows who Jesus is and he has asked God to use him in his service. What will you have me to do? Y'all catch that? That's a major piece to your theology right there. Secondly, you see that his calling and his encounter was not done in silence. 
Sister Bunch, rather he was called in the presence of others. In other words, in other words, just in case he got amnesia and forgot who it was that spoke to him, God had eyewitnesses of the encounter with Saul. See, because some of us quit on our call. Yeah, some of us quit. Everybody that started off preaching ain't still preaching. Okay, okay. Everybody that started off in the choir ain't even in the choir. Everybody that started off as an usher ain't even. Why? They quit on their call. But what God does here is so that Saul will not forget <laughs> who it is who called him. He put some witnesses there. Now watch this. Can I talk about the witnesses? Can I talk about the witnesses? Listen, listen. They were there, but they didn't see what he saw. But they heard what he heard. Can I keep going? Look, nobody saw the light but Saul. Why? He was the only one supposed to see the light. Because he was the last apostle appointed by God. If they saw the light, they would be in the apostolic ministry as well. But God had not planned for them to be the planters of the church. So they could be present, but the light does not affect them or shine on them. They simply hear the words. That God is saying to Saul. They heard the voice. Watch this now. Can I break it down? They heard the voice for him to stop persecuting the church. Y'all with me here? They heard the voice identifying to Saul who the caller was. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Y'all need some more proof? They heard the voice giving him direction. And they heard Saul's statement, Lord, what will you have me to do? Y'all tough crowd, boy, y'all. They became eyewitnesses of the work. Eyewitnesses of the work, Mason, that God had begun inside of, watch this now, their leader. Thank you, Reverend. You got it. In other words, Saul goes, Saul goes, Brother Austin, from misleading them to persecute the church to now needing them to help him obey what God had called him to do. Now, I know y'all deep, but I know you didn't see that because I didn't see it. Amen. Can I keep working then? Maybe y'all did see it. Okay, maybe you saw it. But here's what I noticed that Saul now needs them to lead him to the place where God has called him to be. He blind, Christina. He can't see. He can't observe. He can't discern. He needs a guy to walk with him to the next place where God is going to meet him. And he's got to count on the ones that was with him 
For him to fully obey what God has said. And I believe that that's why God let them hear the instructions. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I try. I like this, y'all. God. <laughs> oh, that's a sympathy clap right there. Amen. I... <laughs> you ever watch people give sympathy amens? Amen. I say, amen, brother. Amen. <laughs> Let me get on out your way. Here's what I want you to see about this. God has used Saul's calling. Watch this now. Brother Derek, to now invite others to examine what God is doing in his life. God can use Saul's conversion to convert others. That's how you got here. That's how you got here. God converted somebody else and they got on your nerves. You got to come to church with me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Can we pray together? The Bible says, girl, the Lord is trying to talk to you. He used somebody else's conversion to get you in. That's how you got here. Come on, talk to me. You ought to say amen. Look, look, he uses Saul's conversion so they can take him down by the hand. And listen, I noticed something here about leadership. They're they not ready to let Saul go. They're not ready to give up on Saul. They have an allegiance to him. He's still their leader. And they have a call to follow him and they were committed to serve him as long as he was doing wrong. But now that he didn't got jacked up by God on the road, they still with him. They like homeboys, we say in the penitentiary, we in the car till the wheels fall off. We're committed to one another. Isn't that something here? And God can use their loyalty to Saul to draw them unto himself. All I'm trying to tell you is that God still uses leadership in the earth. You don't have to cut your boys loose. You don't have to cut your girls loose. You can be used by God in the midst of that relationship. You just need to know you can't get down like you used to get down. Am I making sense here? Somebody got you all messed up in the head. Now that you're with Christ, you can't have nobody that's a sinner as your friend. That's not in the Bible. He calls you to go to the ones who are without him. And if you used to be a gang member, you ought to still have a gang card. Come on, talk to me. You ought to still be invited to the barbecue, to the birthday. I'm just talking to you, y'all listening. You ought to still be able to go into that world and in that community and be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I ain't talking about going in there to share the 40 ounce no more. I ain't talking about that. <laughs> I ain't going in there talking about you putting 20 on it. Come on, talk to me. You partnering in that sin. That's not what I'm saying. Tell your neighbor, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. But God keeps the same persecutors with Saul around Saul as God is ministering Saul's life. And they get to see what God is saying to Saul and they get to benefit by going to the next meeting with Saul where God is going to meet him and reveal himself to him. Now that's worth you coming today. I'm trying to get out of here. I'm trying to get out of here. But here's what I want you to know. After hearing the Lord, Saul obeyed. After hearing the Lord, Saul got an assignment. After hearing the Lord, 
Saul had to change directions. After hearing the Lord, Saul had to make, watch this now, major adjustments in life to follow God and obey God. Can I park the car right there? God doesn't call anybody without first demanding that you make major adjustments to your life. Can I help you here? God ain't never told you to fit him in your schedule. What God does when he calls you is he calls you to alter your schedule. To obey his schedule. Why? He's God, not you. You know what's wrong with the joy of your salvation? You're trying to pencil God in where he needs to wipe out that schedule. God demands that you rearrange your life. He's not going to rearrange the universe to fit around what you need him to do. That's why we get mad and I'm through praying to God. I asked him for something and he didn't give me what I wanted. Well, that's because you got a North American mentality when it comes to God. You know, God is your ecclesiastical bellhop. When you call him, he give you what you need. What gospel did you hear that in? When God breaks in the time to save you, he ain't working for you. You working for And when he calls you, he calls you to rearrange your schedule. Oh, I'm in trouble now, so I'm going to stay in trouble right here. We, we, we will pencil our children in their football practice before God. We'll pencil our daughters in their ballet practices before God. We put our hobbies before God and then had a nerve to show up. God bless me because you know I need you. The first mistake you made was elevating your children to God's status. Not even knowing it. The second mistake you made was making the career he gave you your altar of worship. So your job get more of you than God ever see you. If God get two hours out your week, you call yourself doing something in the name of the Lord. Reverse it today. God is the one who's writing the schedule. And he says, this is when we study the Bible, you get there. This is when we pray, you get there. This is when we witness in the community, you get there. I know you're mad, it's tight, but it's right. Just come on, hold on a little while. I'm going to get you good and mad this Sunday. Amen. I want you to go home with an attitude today, okay? Come on, I want you to go home with an attitude. Listen, fix yourself. Quit trying to put God in where you want him to fit in and let God use you for what he wants to use you for. <laughs> I like this text. Not only does Saul obey, but those around him, they hear the voice and, 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 and they don't get converted, but they get to hear God speak. Uh, they, they hear the voice, but they don't get to see God. They hear the voice. But they never get to enter into this deep place of prayer that Saul is in. The Bible says, and I'm humping it off. I'm humping it off. The Bible says that he was three days without sight and he neither ate nor drank in anything. In other words, the word neither there is, is a conditional word, but it implies this, that Saul gave up the option to eat. He was a Pharisee. 
He understood the principle of worshiping God and what it means when you come into a counter with God is a direct automatic response to worship him, to seek his face in fasting and in prayers. He had food. He had the option to eat. But because God dramatically changed his life, he saw it as a time to worship him. And he gave up his right to eat. He was on a fast. He would say, I'm not going to be distracted by the cares of this world. I'm not going to let my own agenda for living cause me to miss out on what God wants to, wants to tell me. He's fasting in preparation for what God wants to reveal to him. Can I say some more? He's focused on the last thing he saw. Remember, he's blind. But the last thing he would see is the glory that's shown around the Christ on the Damascus road. He's blinded now, but now he can see. <laughs> he's blinded, but he has eternal eyesight. Crystal, he's blinded, but he sees the Lord now, niece, clearer than he's ever seen him before. He's blinded, but his senses are heightened. He's blinded, but everything he needs is in his memory bank. Who needs sight when you got Jesus? He's blinded, but his mind is on the Lord. And his Lord, the Lord, is on his mind. See, even though he's blind, he's waiting on the next touch and move of God. So Saul becomes a picture for us of obedience to the call of God that God has on your life. Here's an, a natural observation, and I promise you, I'm through. I promise you. Notice this. God, Mason, keeps him blind for three days. I said God keeps him blind. He could have healed him instantly, but he didn't. He could have gave his sight back immediately, but he didn't. He could have raised his eyes and cleared him out on a Damascus road, but he didn't. In other words, Sister Green, he kept him in the dark so he could walk in the light. Has God ever kept you in the dark on some things? To keep you walking by faith? Has God ever shut out your understanding? So you will lean and depend on him? Has God ever kept your healing at bay? Because he know that you will press into the throne. When there's darkness all around you. Sometimes God deliberately keeps you in the dark. So you can walk upright in the light. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Another thing I notice in here is that he keeps Saul in submission so he could grow in his grace. Saul don't get to know the true grace of God if the submission hold of God ain't got his foot on his neck. Sometimes God got to keep the foot of loneliness on you so you will see the grace of understanding. Sometimes he's got uh, sometimes he got to keep the full of isolation on you so you will appreciate his company. Sometimes God got to hurt you in order for you to understand his love. I'm just talking to you. He kept him seeing nothing so he could have a vision beyond this world. 
He kept him in isolation so he could teach him justification. Paul needed his eyes, but God needed him blind. Paul needed him to be well. Watch this now. But God needed him to be ill. We watching Sister Morgan fight through cancer. And the church has prayed, we've fasted, we've cried, and God has kept her in the fight. This implies and teaches me that this horrible pain of cancer has been entrusted to our baby girl that God might get the glory. And listen to me here. God trusts all of his children with suffering. Hers just happens to be now, but yours is on the way. Can I talk to you? It doesn't mean God is mad at you because he gives you the badge of suffering. It means he loves you and he's digging you. And in order for you to press in like he needs you to press in, he gives you something heavy to carry. So you won't lean and depend on your own knowledge. He gives you the badge of suffering so you can press in. He keeps Saul blinded for three days. And I noticed this, that God sometimes appoints illness so we can dwell in his intimacy. You know, and y'all be, be honest with me here. You don't pray like you ought to pray until some trouble comes your way. Trouble comes your way. You'll shut off the TV. You'll get rid of knuckleheads. You'll cut off the radio. You'll quit doing the stuff you was doing. And God has your full undivided attention. And this is what he's doing in Saul's life. Sometimes God trusts us with suffering. That he might use us through his glory. Did y'all catch me right there? I don't want you to leave here today with this pseudo understanding about what Christianity is. Christianity ain't never been about you getting all your blessings. It ain't never been about you getting what you want, what you think you ought to have. Christianity has always been about you living out your life under the will and authority of God. And if God decides to, to bless you with suffering, you say like Job, for God I live, for God I die. You say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But bless it, bless it, bless it be the name of the Lord. Here's what I want you to know. If God has hurt you today, I guarantee you he's done it for your good. If he's crushed you with physical discomfort, I guarantee he's done it for your reward in heaven. If he's allowed you to be inflicted by his hand, then you should know that the same hand that inflicts you is the one that heals you. Saul is praying now. And his will, or rather, has been converted to God's will. And his prayers are going to be answered shortly. I'm through preaching when I tell you this. I know that this is true because God would inflict his own son with the heartaches of this world. God would inflict his only begotten son with the physical pain of discomfort. 
God would inflict his only begotten son with thorns of nails pressed into his head, a spear thrust into his side, spikes, not nails, driven into his hand and into his feet. Why? That you might be saved. God uses the spade of sorrow to dig in the son of glory that you might know the joy of salvation. Don't tell me that God won't use you to suffer that somebody else might live. If he'll do it to Jesus, he'll do it to me. And if he'll do it to me, he'll do it to you. Why? Because the sufferings of this world are only for a season and a passing by. Jesus suffered on Friday, but Sunday morning was coming. He suffered on Friday, but Sunday morning was coming. Y'all know the rest. An early Sunday morning, the Father raised him back to life with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. And the glory of his sufferings have been on display. So the question is, if you're suffering, it's not why me. It's thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be conformed into the image of your son. What happened when Saul met Jesus? Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Jesus.